0: Hello, I'm Mark Weaver, President of Mark Weaver and Associates Interior Design. I'd like to invite you to our Instagram live series called Designers at Home. It's every other Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. It's a casual, informative, and exclusive discussion with renowned architects, interior designers, and artists from around the world. This half-hour podcast program is a recording of the live talk addressing all things design and architecture related, along with personal anecdotes and inspiration. Guests have included Emmy-nominated set decorator Peter Gursky, one of America's leading sculptors Sabin Howard, renowned architect and artist Leo Marmel, and art advisor extraordinaire, Barbara Guggenheim. We look forward to you joining us. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Fantastic. And welcome to Designers at Home. And we have the beautiful Wendy Posner with us. Wendy's the principal of Posner Fine Found Arts, in, uh, founded in 1960. Um, and um, we've had a little trouble getting on, but we finally made it Wendy.
1: Yes. Technology at its finest. Thank you so much, Mark, for having me this morning. I'm glad we're able to have a a redo uh, from our okay. beginning of the well, week and try again. thank you for your again.
0: perseverance. All right. So let's fi- My find pleasure. out a little bit about you personally. You grew up in Wisconsin and you attended I Boston University. I grew-
1: I did, and then after I was in Boston, I moved to Los Angeles after I graduated from uh, college. I was at Boston University, and I've been in Los and what Angeles. What brought you for about to Los years. Angeles? Well, I figured I grew up in the Midwest and uh, went to school on the East Coast, so it was okay. time for a little sunshine. And uh, so that was initially what brought me here. And uh, when I first came to Los Angeles, I actually was very interested in getting involved in public relations or in some sort of communications, not in the art world whatsoever. Uh, But a friend of my mom's had a gallery here and asked if I'd like to work for them temporarily while I was looking for a position in communications. And that was my launch into the
0: art world. And um, so explain to us a little bit about what an art advisor does and what Sure, absolutely. So,
1: uh, you know, in terms of art advising, there's many different capacities. Uh, We used to have a physical gallery space and we decided in the early 1990s to go completely private. Uh, And having that opportunity allowed us to work directly with like private clients as well as corporate. We do a lot of work within hospitality. And for our private clients and also a lot of the corporations that we've worked with over the years, we've actually curated and put together really beautiful collectible collections of fine art. And with that, uh, if I'm starting with a collector, you know, some of the different things that we offer in terms of services would be helping to kind of define and look at what collecting is about because there's very different opportunities within collecting fine art. But then also a lot of it is education and educating our clients about different artists or different types of mediums, uh, different movements of art, different uh, materials, uh, to be able to give them a really broad breadth about different things that they could look at while they're starting to investigate collecting. And then in terms of, we'll do everything down to curating and working with them if they want to have us participate in the curation display, let's say, within their residence
0: or within a corporation.
1: We do a lot of work also with interior designers and architects it, in that capacity it, How as well.
0: different is it working on a corporate uh, project versus residential project?
1: Well, in a corporate project, I think the main difference is is that you have a lot of different types mm-hmm. of people that you need to appeal to, uh, versus when you're working directly with a private client. It's a more intimate situation. I think working with a private client than a corporation in some capacity, because you learn a lot more about your client in terms of if it's private. On the corporate side, you know we have to take into account, uh, you know, the optics uh, with the company. Uh, whether or not they want to have fine art. Uh, Depending upon the size of the corporation, you may have a committee that you're working with as well um, in terms of the acquisition of art. And in uh, the corporate setting as well, sometimes it's not collectible art, sometimes it's Uh more in the decorative arena also,
0: depending upon the budget and what kind of corporation it is. What what would you tell somebody? Why is it important um, to hire somebody like yourself, an art advisor?
1: Well, I think that with any, uh, you know, services or any of this sort of, you know, very specified trade, similar to interior designer, or architect, you know, the main reason that somebody would hire us is for our knowledge and expertise. And with our business in particular, since we were founded in 1960, we've honed a lot of amazing relationships globally within the art world of galleries, collectors, publishers, directly with artists. So our resources are really uh, uh, very deep and in-depth in terms of the kinds of things that we could expose our clients to, but we also can make sure that they're getting the best uh, work uh, when they're collecting to be able to advise them on appropriate things to make good choices and selections, but also going back to, you know, the educational component, which is really important for our clients to really understand the work that they're buying and the different, values of it. And it would be everything from the acquisition of the work and and working on the client's behalf, all the way to, let's say, doing framing and display of the work. Uh, Shipping, we've got uh, also very, you know, good relationships with international shippers uh, to make sure that things are transported and packed properly,
0: even if
1: uh, one of the clients acquires something outside of where they're
0: located. The best way for people to familiarize themselves with art is, is exposure. I, when clients come to me and say, I want to start learning, um, especially young people. And I always advise them to go to museums, go to galleries and, um, you know, take little bits of it. It's a lot to digest. So, um,
1: It is. And I think that that's a big part of it, too, is really exposure. And, you know, with our you know new clients and even our existing clients, we do a lot of studio visits to go to see artists, because I think part of, you know, buying art is also understanding the makers and creators of that work. So having a direct contact and being able to meet some of those artists firsthand really also uh, gives a tremendous amount of insight to somebody when they're starting to collect. Uh, visiting galleries, going to openings, and then, like you said, also going to museums. And we also take a lot of our clients to the international right. art fairs mm-hmm. as well. So we'll take them and we'll go through the different fairs. We will usually edit because there's so much work to look at, and it can be a little bit of a sensory overload yes. if you're not used it to uh, taking it and absorbing all that in at one time. But that's another aspect too that I think is really important. And, uh, you know, throughout the world, uh, now everywhere, right. there are major art fairs uh, happening. So it's uh, easier for people to access and right. also even you know, online um, as well. I
0: think one of the uh, pluses of attending an art fair with somebody like yourself is that um, the breadth of, what you come out with, the knowledge you come out with is very different than if you just casually go in on yourself and look, it's like, I don't know, for me going to a museum, I can walk through a museum, stop at pieces that I like, but it's very important to understand the piece, um, how it was done. Um, who did it, what inspired them? Um, I was just, uh, this week, Um, with Roxy, we went to a gallery on Los Angeles that specializes in Persian art. And I had seen an exhibition Mm -hmm. that they had, oh, a few weeks ago, but I wanted to see this new exhibition and I'm sorry, but I can't remember the name of the artist right now, but I walked in and, um, sort of the star of the show, this piece was just absolutely spectacular. And, um, And then as as the gallery director began to explain to us um, who the artist was, um, that he was born with one limb, um, one arm, the other uh, did not function, and explained to us the history of growing up in Iran and the political um, aspect of this painting and images, it took on a whole different perspective. And it's, you know, um, the advantage of having somebody like you is you can take people to galleries, to museums, and.
1: Oh, yeah, I, I just lost the volume. I know you're back. Sorry. <laughs> no, I agree 100%. No problem. No, I think that that's really important and valuable. And I think that to understand that the, the uh, place and the history of the artwork and, and about the artist is a very valuable thing to have that information because you don't always understand the uh, complexity and what went into creating the work. And the more information and knowledge that you can gather about the artist's Why they did it, the purpose, vision, but also that way you'll be able to inform yourself better in terms of how you look at other works of art, you know, from having that uh, detail and educational moment. And I think that's always one thing that's super valuable when you go into a gallery is for a gallerist and or you know gallery associate to engage with clients or people who are walking through the door because going into an art gallery and sometimes museums can be extremely intimidating and so for somebody to walk in who's not knowledgeable about art can be a new experience and not understanding how to ask the right questions and the more that you are out in the field going to the galleries, museums, going to artist studios, you're going to be more informed about how to ask about things that may be of interest to you uh, to learn more in depth about that individual work or the artist Somebody just
0: posted a comment here about what is the gallery um, that I just mentioned. It's called Advocartsy. It's on um, La Cienega. Um, And now I notice um, you've got a a wonderful piece that I love, a David Hockney behind you.
1: I do, and it's one of my favorites, absolutely. Uh, David David is an internationally renowned blue chip artist. Uh, this particular piece is a limited edition work on paper, and it's a multicolor silk screen, which is extremely difficult to achieve the uh, color and depth that was done in this piece. Uh, David Hockney's works are exhibited internationally in every major museum collection. And I've always been really fond of his work to see his progression because as an artist, he started as a very traditional uh, artist, you know, painting and drawing, a lot of very representational work. And over the years, he's always been even interested in the development of new technologies or processes, everything from utilizing Polaroids yes. to creating opera sets. He's done stuff now, his current work is all iPad drawings and they're quite spectacular. So uh i'm very fond of his work and uh you know i i think that somebody you know who's interested in collecting uh david yeah. hockney's i just good got an announcement
0: from kimberly davis at the la louver gallery and um they have a a new show i think in a week or two opening up of david's so yeah which be so looking exciting to
1: and that. you know it, yeah, David. David is, you know, probably close yeah. to in his 90s at this point. The last time that David was, there was a retrospect of uh, Prince by Gemini at LA County Art Museum, and David was in attendance with other major, renowned artists whose works were a part of the Gemini stable.
0: of uh, So, printing. can we talk a little bit about of uh, works on paper, perhaps edition pieces versus original works?
1: I'd sure, like to hear absolutely. what um,
0: your comment on that. Um, this The piece behind you is an edition piece, well, is that right? Yes.
1: It is, exactly. It's a small edition. Well, I think that that's one of the things that there's a lot of misconceptions about, that people don't realize that collecting blue-chip fine art prints can be just as important right. as buying original works. Uh, for example, we had a client that we worked with for over 30 years curating a beautiful print on paper collection and works on paper and the time from when we actually acquired those works to now, the collection has uh, substantially increased in value. Yeah, although, you know, with my clients, I do not push them to buy for investment purposes. I want my clients to buy because they love the art itself, uh, because that to me is most important to be passionate about what you're collecting and to really, truly enjoy those things that you've acquired uh, versus buying it as a collectible. But going back to there are many different types of collections that you can start or have. There are people that focus on certain periods of time, certain mediums, certain artists. Uh, There are people that collect works on paper, such as the limited edition print behind me. You could be a photography collector. So part of that is your own personal passion and interest in the works itself. And then there are a lot of people like myself, my collection is very eclectic. And so I have everything from blue chip works to tribal ethnic, um, I have uh, figurative paintings, uh, drawings. So it's more about the works that I really like, and they all seem to work uh, and uh, synchronize. And really I'm well assuming together. I know
0: you have a passion for travel, as I do. And um, so, have you purchased things as you've traveled around the world?
1: I think you'd be shocked. I have many. (laughs) Uh, Part of of our travels, my mom was always very interested in indigenous tribal groups. And so I was very fortunate to travel to some very strange and remote parts of the world to go visit these indigenous Mm -hmm. cultures and tribes. And the part of it, uh, when she first started traveling to Papua New Guinea and Irian Jaya, which is over 50 years ago, Uh, She started bringing out ethnic and tribal artifacts and uh, bringing them back uh, because she just thought their works were beautiful and they're very contemporary in their own right. And so through their travels, I'm always collecting things and I probably have way too much, uh, which someday may burden my children uh, between my mom and my collection. But I think that that's also part of the passion of traveling. It's the storytelling that you get with each individual work that you buy and about the process of the acquisition in the inner. Interaction when you did uh, meet the people who are making right. it or selling those works and as so, a part of, you know, is speaking really fun. of
0: um, buying things um, internationally um, in the last couple of decades um, it, it's been a lot more difficult to get certain antiquities and pieces of art out of certain countries um, do you want to comment on that I think you know I think my first memory of this subject coming up the actress, Melina McCurie was trying to get the Elgin marbles back from the uh, British Museum back to Greece. And that sort of right. set in motion. Yeah, there's a, um, thing documentary a big documentary Big thing in the art world, so.
1: It is, and I think that that has been something that is really important to address uh, because a lot of those different antiquities were looted and stolen uh, when different cities or different places were under siege by different uh, governments or military. And so, you know, those different pieces really do belong to the countries where they came from, especially if they were looted and stolen. And so, you know, that's something now that a lot of the museums are going back very carefully and looking at how the works were acquired. Unfortunately, uh, within any industry or business, uh, there's a lot of, you know, sort of fraudulent activity or activity that, you know, maybe was acceptable 20, 30, 40 years ago, which now those practices have changed and people are much more cognitive and conscious about. Uh, but I think that when it comes to those antiquities that, you know, provenance and history, and that's something that we're going to be able to track much more carefully now. Uh, especially with the usage of going back to the new technologies and blockchain uh, NFTs, which could be associated with actual asset management or the, uh, you know, sort of being able to get together the information that would provide the history and provenance of work uh so i think that some of that will be very interesting over time how it unfolds and even in terms of you know the countries that are requesting for their antiquities to be returned and how the different museums and institutions handle it as well as even private
0: collectors so um you know the piece behind you is that framed or unframed So the piece behind
1: me is actually, it's framed archivally, but it is framed in an acrylic box in four quadrants. And uh, that's, you know, something that's really important with, you know, collecting art, the preservation and even the framing and display of the works to maintain the works over time to make sure that they don't uh, have, uh, you know, any issues in terms of conservation or preservation. um, Discolor.
0: if they're not framed properly you know sometimes clients don't understand the importance of of framing and um archival framing and i i have one piece which happens to be a gemini piece on paper and i it was supposed to have been archivally um framed but all the edges are turning um you know sort of brown and so forth
1: it's yeah, it's that's mm. called foxing when that happens to the paper. And what happens is that if something is framed without archival materials, and what I mean by archival materials are materials right. that don't have acid in them, uh, because uh, cardboard and traditional paper, like from your printer, it has acid in it, and so therefore over a period of time, that the materials start to break down, and it will end up mm-hmm. bleeding or burning paper that's top of it if it was on a mat board or wasn't framed with a archival linen or backing and so you know we see quite often that works that were framed a long time ago may have cardboard on the back versus having a uh you know a foam core that is an archival or acid-free foam core and so when we're going back through collections of uh different people when we're working with them that's some of the stuff that we also check and advise on because especially here in California, you have a lot of natural light. And the sure. sunlight affects works on paper in particular or certain materials that react to it. And so displaying something without a UV uh, plexi or museum plexi or glass that would help to block the UV rays, that's something that we really work with, advising our clients on. And yes. framing is expensive. You know, Framing is uh, no, something that people the don't realize frame. a frame doesn't
0: yeah but it's it's more it's very important because um, the piece can ultimately be very valuable and you can destroy it if it's not framed properly So that brings up something I want to ask you about Um, going back to David Hockney Um, David um, had gone through a period where he was using a lot of Polaroids a collage of Polaroids and you know those tend to deteriorate over time right so what happens it exactly. works like this?
1: That's a really interesting question, especially in particular with the Polaroids. You know, even at the time that David was working in Polaroids, I don't even think that there was much emphasis at that time, even on archival framing as there is now. Uh, so sometimes, unfortunately, a part of those works is the deterioration, because we didn't know what the preservation of the works were going to be over longevity. It would even go back into when we started printing with uh, inkjet printers, inkjet printers, you know, we thought that on uh, you know paper that this was going to be something that wasn't going to fade either especially if you use like a photographic paper, and we found over time that those inks actually were not archival as well. And so you can see even things that were done early on with the printing technology, as it's changed that they've had to change the inks also so that there is a longer term preservation of it, especially when it comes to printing artwork, if you're using uh, anything from a Canon to Epson or HP. Uh, to make sure that the paper you're using is archival if you're printing art. So what happens to the the value of a
0: piece like that?
1: Um, That's a good question. I think that that is dependent upon the marketplace and and whether or not it's something that there's uh, some way to stop the uh, further deterioration of polaroids. And with polaroids, I'm not even particularly sure, you know, how to address that correctly. Um, That would be something that I would bring up or speak with a conservationist about, which is also in terms of our stable and, you know, the different resources that we have readily available at our fingertips. When we receive those types of questions from clients or we have those kind of works that are in question, that I would call somebody who
0: has the appropriate expertise in that field as well. So we both live in Los Angeles and Los Angeles is such a great city to live and there's a you know, just a tremendous amount of museums here, wonderful museums. I think uh, people around the country don't think of Los Angeles as um, a center for culture, but we have some of the greatest museums in the world here, and we have a wealth of art galleries. So um, your advice earlier about people getting out, I mean, they're just, whatever part of the city you're in, there's a museum, there are galleries to expose. do you have um, any favorite museums here in Los Angeles that you?
1: Well, I, I live around okay. the corner from LA County Art Museum, so I walk there. So for me, that's, you know, a wonderful place to go and visit. Uh, also now, you know, next door, you also have the Academy Museum. Across the street, you have Folk and Craft. So you have a lot of different museums, even the Peterson Automotive Museum is right at the corner where all the galleries are located, I mean, where the museums are located. So, you know, for me to go and spend a half a day or even a couple hours to go over to the museum is quite easy. In terms of when I'm advising, like, potential people who are collectors who don't know about collecting art, throughout Los Angeles itself, there are many different areas where there's a lot of galleries sort of within the same vicinity. And there are different galleries in the different areas may have different sentiments or different kind of works that they carry from emerging to mid-career to the blue chip. So I'll tell my clients or I'll take my clients and we'll choose one area you know, for a day and maybe go out and visit three or four galleries in one uh, visit so that you can see sort of a broad breadth of some of the different works or exhibitions that are out there, but there's always every single day I could find something culturally to do within Los Angeles. And I think we're becoming much more well-recognized as an amazing art destination, um, especially with the influx of the art fairs coming here as well, that it's bringing a more global art community yeah. uh, to our and, city again. You know,
0: outside of LA, they're wonderful. You know, it's um, the Basel Art Fair. You've got the um, Venice exactly. Biennale, which yep. is, well, it's thrilling to just go to Venice, period. But to be there when the Biennale is on is, right. is also very exciting. I was there, oh, I, I guess it was right before COVID. And it was a wonderful show. The American Gallery was an exhibition by Mark Bradford. And I wasn't. Which, which is yeah, incredible. I He's wasn't an amazing painter. So, prior to seeing that installation. Um, so it it was, for me, it was extremely educational. And then you have the the advantage of being able to travel at the same time.
1: Absolutely. We're going to something like the Venice Biennale in particular. I mean, the artists who are uh, exhibiting and whose works are on display, it's really a full installation Mm -hmm. or activation of a space. So it's not the same as necessarily going to a traditional art fair, such as Art Basel. At Art Basel, when you go, whether it's uh, in Miami, Hong Kong, Paris, uh, or actually in Basel, Switzerland, that's a more traditional art fair where galleries are set up in booth spaces works, right? with their artists that they're Versus something like the Venice Biennale, which is really it takes over the entire city of Venice, where it's in the palazzos and the churches, it's in the streets. You have these major displays of works, and uh, you know the amount of people that go and visit it, in the period of time also, since the run of it is over six months, that a lot of people can visit and be exposed to the work there in a new yeah, way. And it's, it's such a beautiful setting. It is spectacular. uh, You
0: had talked a little bit about um, the types of things that you collect. And it was interesting to me because um, the pieces I've collected over the years, um, I wasn't really concerned about, I guess, a collection as much as buying things that I love and I'm passionate about. And the one thing I learned about myself, and it'll be interesting to hear your comment, is I'm seasoned enough now that if I look at something and know I'm just mad for it and have to have it, that that'll probably dissipate just as quickly. And I find works today that are much more (laughs) challenging or that I don't react positively to over a period of time, um, liking more and more.
1: Well, and I think that that's natural, though, and, and that goes on the more educated you become, and the more exposed you are, and, and the more you travel, even to have that to inform you as a part of, you know, your ongoing collection or what your interests are. I mean, within my own collection, there are three pieces that I will never part with that I'm madly in love with, and that I have enjoyed from the time that I've acquired them and, you know, find that they're so special that they really are irreplaceable, Um, you know, but I think that other than that, you know, my taste always is changing as well because the world in which we live and just being able to travel and you know there's so many interesting artists that are up and coming and starting to look at the next generation of artists to collect and seeing how they're creating and making things even in terms of with digital technology uh looking at that crossover between art, architecture, fashion design, it really is changing how we're being informed and also having access to so much information online also uh, broadens your breath and skill, which may then dictate how you end up acquiring yes. new works in the so, future.
0: You know, during the um, three years of COVID, one of the great things that I found was that you could go on to museums and galleries online everybody started to put things available online because we were trapped at home and we couldn't get out and socialize. And I found that it's really wonderful to go through, if if you don't have the the ability to travel, to go onto a website and go through a museum. And I remember I was recently in Miami working there and at dinner one night, somebody recommended that, if you've got a couple hours, you should go see the Rubel museum, and I'd never heard of it oh my god it's, it it's was so the fabulous and the collection was incredible and it is incredible it's really yeah fantastic um, collection. you know if you you don't have the um, luxury of traveling to Miami or to Venice, you can go online, you can google these things and
1: And I think that's maybe one of the the more positive things that has come Uh out, you know, from COVID is that, you know, we have information and opportunity to experience something uh, globally that, like you said, we could visit a museum uh, across the world without going. I think the one thing, though, is that, you know, really going back to, uh, you know, educating, it's the human connection as a part of the acquisition of art, or even learning about art, that you can't replicate that online. It's been very challenging, and I think that, you know, we saw that throughout when uh, some of the major art fairs had to cancel uh, their uh, different uh, uh, fairs that they were having because of COVID, and then transitioned very quickly to doing online art fairs you're not also seeing an environment where you can really feel the dimension really look at the materials even though people are much more savvy now about collecting art online having something physically it's tangible in front of yeah. you uh-huh. is a very different experience right. than actually seeing it online and so i think that's one of the things that you can't replicate at this point and then going back to the interaction and engagement when you go to let's say an art fair part of the excitement is the energy you feel in the room, or even in having a conversation with a gallerist when you walk into a booth to have them discuss and talk to you about the works. And unless there's some sort of engagement with that, it's similar that you're not getting the full experience because you're not really learning about the work, about the artist uh, firsthand, because it may just be, uh, you know, listening to an audio sort of uh, tour but there's still so much other information that can be inspired from an initial, actual physical conversation.
0: Right, so what, other than, um, you know, exposure to galleries and museums and so forth, what would you say to people, young people, older people, who people that want to start collecting, what would be your advice?
1: Well, I think the part of it is that, you know, going back and figuring out, let's say, if they're going to start collecting realistically what is the the aim of it do they want to collect over a period of time A collection's not built overnight and i think that that's what do is that i always one of my recommendations maybe to a a up-and-coming younger collectors let's say this year i have a thousand dollars to buy a piece of art and then the next year to put a little bit more away so every year to buy one new piece to you know slowly build a collection I think that going back to reading, watching documentaries about even different artists, you know, is a great way to expose, there's a lot of literature. I have a great book, which is called Seven Days in the Art World, uh, which is uh, by Sarah Thornton. And this is just a really fun, quick glimpse of the inside of the art world about demystifying everything from economics to about collectors, to about galleries, and it's a fun and educational read. So that's another thing too, is reading about uh, collecting, I think is important. And even watching the auction market as well will inform you too, uh, because there's everything from watches to cars, to, you know, books, to it could be prints on paper uh, auctions. that that is also a good way to start looking at and understanding the historical value of art and the different artists who have been influential right. over different periods of time. In your comment about
0: um, having people take time, I think it's very important because um, look, buying art, um, decorating, it's all very much the same. Architecture, you, the more you educate yourself, your tastes start to evolve and change. And so your focus, what maybe you were initially <laughs> interested in over a period of three or four years is going to evolve.
1: That is absolutely true, and I think that that's something as well, that the continued conversation, if you engage or enlist an art advisor uh, to help you to curate and to work on collecting, is that that's an ongoing relationship for myself and within uh My clientele, my relationships are very long standing. Some of them start back to when my mom founded the company in 1960, but we also want to make sure that we're working with those clients and we establish a long-term relationship with them because I think that that's really important to have that trust from your collectors and it, it's ongoing. Even to we're working with some of the collections that were put together early on in our, you know, fine art career. That we're now deacquisitioning art for some of our clients, and so we can help with the entire process. So there are, you know, collectors who children are not interested in inheriting art, and so we may work with them even in estate planning and even oh, for insurance great. purposes too. Um,
0: I know. Um working with somebody like you, when we're doing an interior design project is so important because I always tell the client, you know, by the time you get to the end of the project, the client is um, maybe a little burnt out spending money and so forth. And art always seems to be the last thing that they purchase. And uh, I always tell them, this is the jewelry in the room. You know, rooms come alive, they sing when good. you've got a great piece of art in the room. It doesn't have to be expensive. Just, you know.
1: No, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you want something, especially for yourself as an interior designer, who you've created these absolutely stunning spaces. And, uh, you know, part of that is the overall design is the accessorizing of it. Like you said, the jewels and jewelry of it. And we'd love to work with, you know, interior designers and architects early on in their process, because that may also inform the overall design so that the art is not an afterthought, that it's not just a layer on top, that it's integrated fully within the actual scope of what you're trying to create too as an right. interior and designer for Right, and also when
0: client. we are working with um, particular pieces of work and we're designing the space from the ground up, we have the ability to, um, the lighting is, is a very, very important aspect of this. So, um, and, and you know, uh-huh. that, that's a whole uh-huh. other conversation uh-huh. itself, but the lighting is also very important. So
1: Yeah, lighting the display, going back to framing, all of those things are 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 very important for the artwork to be really so, showcased. Wendy,
0: thank you for joining us today. Um what is the best way for people to get in touch with you? Can you tell us um a little bit about your your website or an email sure. address? Hello.
1: My my website is com, and of course, obviously, we're here on Instagram, so at posnerfineart as well. And otherwise, you can always uh, reach us through our website. Uh, there's contact information there with phone numbers and uh, email addresses Wonderful. as well.
0: Well, this was very informative. I hope everybody enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, I'm glad we finally got this. Well, to thank happen. you so much.
1: I'm... Well, thank you so much for having me as a guest. I really appreciate it. And we'll look forward to continuing our conversation on other you, our topics as well in the future. Terrific. Uh, Thanks, Mark. have a good rest of your week. Thank right. you everybody Bye-bye. for joining us. Take care. Okay. Bye. Thank
0: you everyone for um, um, watching Wendy today. This was very um, interesting. Remember that you can, um, if you weren't able to see the entire show, You can go on our Instagram account. Wendy will have it on her Instagram. It's on YouTube. Um, We have a podcast, and it's on the Mark Weaver & Associates website. So um, please share these videos with your friends, and thank you. Please join us in two weeks with the award-winning architect, William Baker. Um, You're going to, um, I think, be amazed at how spectacular his work is, and I look forward to seeing you then. Goodbye. thank you for listening to designers at home follow us on instagram at mark weaver and associates to listen to live or subscribe to this podcast if you found this podcast valuable and insightful share it with your friends comment and subscribe we are also on youtube at mark weaver and associates thank you